When I forgave the little boy who molested me when I was six, I got my power back. When I forgave the man who raped me, I got my power back. Welcome to the New Age Sage Podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. Today's guest is Jenna Phillips Ballard. We talk about how to heal your sexuality and how your perspective on life dictates your reality. Please like and subscribe. Thank you. Jenna, welcome on the on the show. Thank you for having me. So we were talking a little bit about your decision to come here, and you said that you had to create space from parenting to come to a decision like that. How do you find time for that? How do you find time for the, the healing and the integration while having the responsibility of being a parent and making time for your kids? I mean, integration is in every single action that I create, every word that I speak, every thought that I have. Um, and it's integration is life and, and it's the experiences that I do have, the, the teachings, the trainings, the ceremonies, whatever it is, whatever, wherever I get downloads, it's up to me to integrate that and have it be a normal part of my life versus just an event. And, you know, I, I get blasted off to the 5d and I have these downloads and this information, but then I don't, if I don't, if I'm not applying it to my life, I'm not living it, I'm not walking my talk, then it just that it just becomes an event. Yeah, I noticed that with psychedelics. People yeah. t- people love the awareness. They love the hits sure. of, of knowing things. But then I think what psychedelics do is they give you a blueprint of the work to do in reality. So h- how did you go about that? Because I think most people don't actually do that. So what are ways you can actually get the message, either from psychedelics or a bad experience, and see the blueprint of this is the work I have to do? How do you get yourself to actually do that? Well, it's interesting what you said about bad experience. I think that... Uh, what people will say is, oh, I had this really bad experience or I had a really challenging journey. It's likely because spirit had them look at themselves in a way that they didn't want to look at themselves or had them confront different aspects or different parts of the world or reality, which is an interpretation. And so it's, it's the confrontation of the darkness. And so I think that what people are seeking is the light. And even in in like if you look at the spectrum of light, there is there is darkness on that on that scale. It's a sliding scale. It's light is not just light. I mean, there is darkness in there too. And so I think it's really important to know that both exist and neither is better, neither is good or bad. It's just it's the full experience of being a human. And so when people have these experiences when they're sitting with medicine, they're sitting with plant medicine, or they're using a plant technology to access a different aspect of their consciousness, or they're looking for some kind of an answer, something to understand in a different way. What often happens is they blast off to a different dimension, and they get this information. And what I'm seeing in the medicine community, there's not there's not a lot of accountability. There's no soft spot for a lot of these people to land. And most people don't have the faculty or the tools to understand what to do with that information. And so then they must go sit in another ceremony and then another and then another. And so what I stand for is integration. I stand for sustainable transformation, especially with plant technology. Yeah, I also noticed that people can become addicted to living in the other side in some mm-hmm. way. They don't want to, I think we're here for a reason, right? We're here to, to live in the duality between division and unity, that we're here to experience the division, here to experience all the suffering in some way so we can transform it into, into unity, into love. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the human experience, I think. And then when people are always doing psychedelics, they're kind of becoming addicted or, or resistant to that work. They want to escape it and, and transcend all the work. Well, the work is the human experience. The yeah. work is 3D and the way that we're going to change the world is in this dimension. I mean, we live in a 3D world. We are 
three, you know, third dimensional beings. You are 3D. I'm 3D. We're all having this experience. We're, we're having this co-creative experience together. And when people want to escape it and look for a different reality, they look for something outside of themselves to bring them to that place versus identifying and realizing they have the power to create that based on their interpretation. Because even if someone's sitting with a plant technology or plant medicine and they have a bad experience or they have a, you know, a, a challenging experience, that's also their interpretation. And I've had experiences in, in plant medicine ceremonies where it felt really challenging and it felt dark and it felt confrontational and interruptive, yet I was able to identify that it was meant for me. I was meant to see that. I was meant to experience that. And that's the work. Because then once I have that interpretation, then how can I take what I experience and apply it into, into this world that we live in? What was the toughest moment for you to accept and integrate? What was the one that met, was met with the most resistance? It was really interesting. There was a ceremony where I was sitting in uh, a teepee with my shaman and a, a group of people. Um, my husband was also there. And this was before we were calling in our first child. And I had this very clear intention. I was like very attached to what I wanted to experience on the ceremony. Um, and we were sitting with ayahuasca. And, uh, and, I, and I knew that I had a lot of healing with my womb to, to create because I'd, I'd gone through a significant amount of sexual trauma that I was really working on. And, um, and I knew that I got to heal that. And so I was very attached to how the ceremony was going to go. And I wanted Brad, my husband, to be next to me. And I wanted to have this whole experience. And, it, and, I, and I was very intentional, but really it was more about control and it was about attachment. And typically, you're not meant to sit with partners in, in a ceremony. You're meant to have your own experience. And, um, and, and the entirety of that experience, that journey, went the exact opposite of how I thought it was going to go. I, and I was like, I'm going to connect to my, my child, my daughter, because I was committed to calling in a daughter, which I manifested an amazing son who is just the light of my life. Um, but through that, I, I learned that you can't control the medicine. I mean, ayahuasca, Grandmother Aya gives you what you need and, and serves you what you must experience in that moment. And so it really is an opportunity to release and surrender control. And that has been one of my biggest challenges as, as a powerful woman um, to just surrender and trust and set down the expectation, the anticipation of what I think it should be or ought to be, because that's not up to me. I mean, it's like, of course, I'm sure you've heard the saying, when you try to make plans for your life, God has a really funny sense of humor and he laughs at you and he says, that's a nice plan, but this is what we're going to do instead. So God, universe, spirit, or AKA Gus, um, you know, that's just that, that creature, that experience, that power that's so much bigger than us, um, that we all must really be humble with because that, that is the bigger plan. Yeah. How do you dance that line between what I struggle with is this the co-creation line of what do I do in my power to create my way of, of what I, of co-creation, right? I know I have to do these things. What's the line between forcing and then actually receiving things? You know what I'm saying? How, what's the line between putting things into action and manifesting in a, in a physical way and then creating space to receive it? It's a delicate dance. It, it is a very delicate dance. I actually have a powerful story about that. My my car was stolen, a brand mm. new car that I I picked out every detail of this car. The color seat, the seats of the color, the color of the seats, um, the color of the car, Every every aspect, every detail of this car, I, I handpicked it. And so I really was somewhat attached to this car. And then it was stolen. And that was an opportunity for me to not be attached. And I got to practice that and also practice not being just complacent about what, what I was experiencing. So I believe that there's, there's 
passive acceptance because it's possible to accept what is while also looking for an additional solution. And so that's really like the active acceptance. So I could have been passive about it and said, oh, well, it's just supposed to happen. It's just supposed to be this way. I'm not meant to have the car, which is kind of like a, it's like toxic spirituality. It's like toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. But I accepted what was, but then realized that it was going to be up to me to create a brand new experience because the police weren't going to go find it. They're understaffed. So I walked into the police station, demanded to see a police officer because they need to file a police report. And um, and so I was on the phone with BMW. We're trying to track this car all weekend. And so I was on the phone with BMW and they, they're they like, we need to wait until Monday. I'm like, it's, it's going to be on cinder blocks, either somewhere in downtown, I don't know where in Austin or maybe across the border. So they were being very complacent about the whole thing. And I was being, I was in committed action. But the lesson for me in all of that was I believe that it's it's powerful of course masculine energy is vital it's necessary you have masculine and feminine i have masculine feminine energies every living creature has that there is that there is that there's a there's a balance and sometimes an imbalance and so i experienced being completely in my masculine all weekend i didn't make the phone calls and then set it down and then trust i made the phone calls and couldn't get off it like i was so focused on finding my car which i did so of course the reward was that energy created this whole experience of i did find my car However, once I found it and I was able to set it all down, I felt this tightness in my chest. Like my rib cage was super tight. I found it really challenging to take full breaths and my body was communicating to me. My body was saying to me, the energy that you've been holding all weekend is not sustainable. And so that's the way that I used to run my life, live my life. And so it was really powerful for me to remember that I've been committed to shifting that energy into a space of trust, into a space of love and acceptance and allowance and surrendering and 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 really knowing that everything is going to work out. I mean, I, I'm dying to know your story, but I'm sure that you've had quite a life filled with breakdowns and breakthroughs. And yeah. you and I both have navigated and surpassed and gotten through 100% of our worst days. Yeah. And so it's all worked out, right? Like, and of course, in the moments, it can feel intense or heavy and we don't have the space or the ability to trust. But that's the magic of life is, okay, you've, you've got a, your eye on, the, on a target. Go after that short laser burst of energy and then set it down and then trust and surrender and allow yourself to receive. So I wasn't allowing myself that to be in my feminine energy because that's my superpower. Mm -hmm. And so it just wasn't sustainable for me. Take me back to that journey of when you were in masculine go-getter mode. When you realized I wasn't serving you and how you started from the beginning, moving towards a more feminine space of being. It was right before I met my husband, Brad. I was experiencing failed relationship after failed relationship and make it. I made up the story that I kept picking the wrong guys and mm -hmm. didn't really identify in the moment that I was the lowest common denominator of all those relationships. And I, at this time in my life, I was successful. I was a celebrity trainer for many years in Los Angeles. I worked with people like Ben Stiller, the founders of Guess, um, Saudi Arabian royalty, just incredible humans, powerful leaders, influencers, people who are up to big things. And so that kind of energy for a short while created really powerful results for me. But it wasn't until I got really clear about what was missing from my life, which was a romantic relationship that I started to really be in curiosity about what was in the gap because I'd created all the success. I knew that I was attractive, fit, healthy, funny, magnetic in a lot of ways. And so to me, it didn't make any sense why I was not able to find my partner. And mm -hmm. like, that's the key word is find because I was looking, I was looking for my person and I was on this mission to find my soulmate and on this mission to find my partner. 
And it was in that masculine energy pursuit that I finally, and it was, I was in a, a training, a workshop where I got to, it was a somatic training where I got to understand the balance between masculine and feminine and that both of them are powerful. Both of them are vital. Both of them are, are amazing. There's not one that's better than the other. My mastery has ultimately up to this point really been in identifying when I get to access my masculine and when I get to access my feminine. And I'm not perfect. Obviously, the whole experience with my car was, I was like, oh, I still have work to do. Perfect. But but that was powerful for me because I realized I've been looking for my person and I get to be found. And it wasn't until I finally identified that and announced out loud to the universe, I am worthy of being found by an incredible man who will love, honor, cherish, and respect me. And so it was in the declaration of that, it was in the ownership of that, that I was worthy of being found. And he found me three days later on Match.com. Yeah. So. Beyond, you know, I think affirmation is powerful and saying you are worthy. But I think the key point you said there is self-worth is I think you only can feel love to the degree you love yourself, right? It's a cliche saying, but it's true. If you don't have self-worth, you don't don't like yourself or see yourself in a good way, you're not going to tolerate someone who sees you the same way. Mm -hmm. I used to attract, uh, when I was younger, back in my day, in my college days, I attract women who, who didn't really see me as... Uh, that powerful or strong because I couldn't see myself that way. So I tolerated that in, in many ways. So the key there for you is building up that self-worth. Okay. How do you actually do that? How does one go about that journey of, of really building up a self-worth to not, to not get it from external validation or external outcomes or success? How can someone create that source of, of well-being internally? It's really important to identify what has had us feel unworthy in the first place because we were born worthy. We were born confident and filled with love and the things that we experience as children is what ultimately creates this this need to protect our inner child. And so the first time that we're lied to, the first time we have our heart broken, the first time we hear uh, something that challenges our whole belief about the world and the universe, we start to create this interpretation to understand why we're experiencing these limitations. And oftentimes it's the projections, it's the limitations, the fears, the doubts of the people who are raising us that ultimately creates our own limitations. And so it's really up to us to identify those experiences, know that none of it's our fault, but it is our responsibility to heal it. And so it really took me a while to not only identify that my belief was that I didn't believe that I was worthy, but then also understand where that belief was coming from. And when I was six years old, I was molested by a little boy in my first grade class. It literally happened in our classroom in the middle of a writing assignment. And um, and and so it was this experience that I, at the time, had no idea what was happening. But the interpretation, the feeling, the sensation that I made up was that I'm not worthy and I don't matter and I can't trust myself. I can't trust other people. And so because that was my interpretation of that event that was happening and I didn't understand what it meant to have compassion or forgiveness and took many years for me to actually ultimately forgive this little boy. um, But it was in the confrontation of that event and reliving it and creating a new interpretation around it and discovering that okay, I, I get to be a voice for the voiceless and I get to speak about what it means to to get my power back, to own my voice and to choose to not be a victim of the experience that I had. And so it really, it really required me to do the work and practice saying things that were reflective of what I wanted to experience in my life. And me being the future version of myself, the healed version of myself, the confident, the empowered version of me. Yeah, how did you heal the... I think there's two levels to healing. There's the cognitive piece of, you know, rewiring the thoughts and the beliefs. 
There's a somatic piece. How did you heal that specific trauma from that you experienced from that in your body? What was that oh like? Oh, my gosh. I can't even tell you how many um, somatic trainings I found myself in and EMDR therapy, plant medicine ceremonies specifically focused on healing my womb and, and healing my relationship with my sexual trauma. Um, and and really just and, – and also to speak about it, to not be ashamed about it, but to, to use my voice and stand on stage and speak about what I experienced and let the audience know that I got my power back when I chose to forgive that little boy. And I was also, I was raped when I was 29, and so I got to forgive that man, someone that I trusted. And it was, it was in the forgiveness piece that I was able to experience me deciding that I am the author of my life and I'm also the author of my reality. And um, I thought about it some more before I actually finally decided to forgive the little boy because he knew what he was doing. He was very clear. He And I'll never forget the look on his face when it was happening. He was sitting next to me and he reached underneath my skirt, under my underwear and explored and totally took it upon himself to invade my privacy and invade my body. And And the look on his face was this dark, sneaky, just this it was almost evil. And and to have that experience of a, of a six-year-old or a seven-year-old, however old he was at the time, what I was able to finally understand was that little boy probably was experiencing that in some capacity at home. Mm-hmm. And the whole time he was sucking his thumb. So I'm like, now looking back and having the experience that I've had and understanding trauma, I he probably was utilize, utilizing that as um, a soothing mechanism to manage his own trauma and the experience that he was having. So... He was trying to get his power back because someone took it from him. Mm-hmm. And and in that, I, I really got to choose compassion. And um, and it, it shifted the way that I felt about the interpretation, how I felt about the event. And the man who raped me when I was 29, it was actually two weeks after I met Brad. And at this point in my life, I was in the best shape of my life. I um, felt really good. I was empowered. I was thriving. I just met this amazing man that I was very clear that we were going to someday be married. And I went on vacation with a friend of mine. And, um, and there was a time during this vacation where I had a little bit too much to drink and we went back to our room and I fell asleep and she called this guy into the room that she was dating and they were hooking up and then she fell asleep. Then he came over to me and I woke up with him with his fingers inside of me. And that was that experience was so traumatic because it was invasive. Obviously, I didn't permit that to happen. In no way was I asking for that to happen. Even though I drank too much, doesn't make it okay. It doesn't, it's not an excuse. It's not a get out of jail free card. Um, but my interpretation of the event was that I somehow attracted it, that I, at the time, somehow attracted it, somehow manifested it, somehow asked for it. I mean, that was the, the programming, the conditioning of, of the patriarchy, that somehow it's my fault. And so for an entire year, it, it rocked my world. And I, you know, I left Brad at home and we had this passionate connection. And then I came back from vacation and I was different and he didn't know what happened. I didn't tell him for a whole year because we were, we were in a somatic training about a, a year after this happened and it all came up and out. Like this whole section of the training was specifically focused on people who'd experienced sexual trauma. And I'd never spoken about that with him, but I was honest with it in the training and I was able to confront it and I was able to be, I really wanted to create freedom from that experience. How did he handle it when he told him? Um, he was loving, like so supportive because I mean, I was taking him through all the stuff, like all the experiences of sexual trauma or feeling objectified, um, feeling like I was an, an object or a piece of meat by men in my life or boys. And so I was, I was catharting it and getting it out and working through it with the trainer. And, uh, 
and I didn't hold back. And that was, it was because I chose to not hold back. I was able to give myself permission to, to begin to heal it in a way that I hadn't given myself permission yet. And it was in that the choice to not live in shame about it, the choice to not be afraid about him finding out about what happened to me, that I realized that I can I can continue to have the conversation these things happen to me. Or I can decide that the event happened for me in a way that I was able to understand sexual trauma in a, in a way that I otherwise wouldn't have. And and the, the amount of people that I've worked with who've experienced sexual trauma, I mean, the majority of human beings have experienced some form of sexual abuse. Yeah. And so it, it's given me a different edge as a trainer. It's given me um, a different perspective as a leader, how I get to relate to the people who've had that kind of trauma. It's, you can't you can't teach it in a textbook. I mean, it's just it's a, it's a different understanding. Yeah. Did that? How did those experiences affect your relationship to the masculine? Uh, I would say that it it had me harbor a lot of masculine energy because the the first experience when I was six, um, I just I I I believe that I was, I was definitely wearing a skirt that day, and I think I never wore a skirt again after that mm-hmm. for a skirt or a dress for many years. And so I, and of course I wanted my dad's approval, who was an athlete and the coach of all sports. And I wanted my dad's approval, but I didn't really care about sports. I really wanted to be girly and I wanted to play with Barbies and sing and dance and, and all of that. But I decided to attempt to become some kind of a tomboy slash athlete, but I was never that great because I didn't really care about sports. And so then I got, my ego got to be right about, I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. I was never a starting player. And so I was always seeking my father's approval, but because I couldn't find it, I, I believe that I didn't get it from my dad. I would seek from it. I would seek for it in, I guess, attention from from other boys and men. And so for a long time, I would gauge my self-worth on the level of attention that I would get from men. And even though it was it was it was a bottomless pit, I mean, it, it was a I was experiencing such a lack of self-worth and self-love. And I was seeking I was outsourcing my self-worth through empty relationships and I lowered my standards and I kept experiencing these failed relationships and kept picking the wrong guys. But really it was, it was me being able to identify that I got to love myself first and, and make a a proud, definitive, declared proclamation that I'm worthy. I'm worthy of having a love in my life. How did you validate yourself? How did you shift that uh, need for male validation and then give it to yourself in a way? What was that process like? And what was the Biggest tip or solution you found in that to get there for someone who's in that spot? Yeah, I, I mean, again, it was it was truthfully in a series of somatic trainings that I experienced as a student, and then studied and studied and studied, and um, ultimately became a practitioner of these trainings. And it was in that that I discovered my my value and my purpose. I mean, my reason for being born. That my and I and I used to believe, of course, I was a personal trainer, so I used to think that my purpose was to make people super fit and um, teach them how to get a six pack and shed shed a certain amount of weight for red carpet event or whatever. And it was in these somatic trainings I got to experience the embodiment of worth, the embodiment of courage and confidence and value, and it was something that I was able to identify from within myself that. I've always been enough. I've always mattered. And so my purpose is actually to teach people how to love themselves in a way that they can ultimately create and have anything. What's the the antidote to not self-love, to self-hatred? Like, What's the quickest way you can get someone to start appreciating themselves? Uh, actually, I'll, I'll share one of my most favorite 
tools with your audience. If um, if you feel like there's space for that, it's going to take me a couple of minutes to explain it. Okay. So, um, so something that I, and I facilitated this a lot from stage. Um, and I, this is something that I teach all my students at Ascension Leadership Academy, that they have the ability to flip the script. They can shift the internal conversation because the way that we speak to ourselves when no one is looking or no one is listening, I mean, we would never talk that way to anybody. Mm-hmm. We would never speak that way to a three-year-old or a four-year-old. But the way that we talk to ourselves when it's just that inner dialogue, which is our ego, which is honestly trying to protect our inner child from getting hurt again. Our, our ego doesn't want our inner child to experience shame or embarrassment or being left out, not being approved of, not being liked. And so our ego does everything to keep us safe and have us play small and keep us within this confinement so that we don't experience all the things that that we're afraid of experiencing. And so these these conversations that are running in our subconscious, it's kind of like this background music. It's like elevator music. You don't really notice that it's on until it, it turns off. And you're like, oh, that music was on the whole time. But this conversation and, and these words that we hear when it's just on autopilot, is it's really damaging. And that's how we talk to our inner child every day. And so it's being able to identify the physical sensation when we have these experiences, this inner dialogue. Oof, that really doesn't feel good. And like, oh, gosh, that was kind of mean. And like, oh, it feels like really heavy and tight in my chest. And I don't like the way that feels. The physical sensations that we experience are indicators that something is off. Something is not right. Because when we can experience neutrality or we feel this warm, tingly sensation in our body, that's alignment. Yeah. And so it's the the heaviness, the tightness, the ickiness, like those feelings, those sensations. If we find ourselves in a loop, we must be able to identify in the moment, okay, this is this, wow, this really doesn't feel good. Okay. Uh, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to cathart this out. And so what I have people do is they purge out everything that they're experiencing, whatever the loop is, and they just write it all out on paper. Dear, whatever the person's name is, you are, you don't, you have never, you won't ever, you won't, you... I mean, the worst things you can possibly imagine, you just got to get it out. You can see yeah. it on paper. And then you look at it and you're like, gosh, this is horrible. I can't, I just I can't believe that I'm saying these things to myself. And then immediately switch brand new clean sheet of paper. And you get then get to write yourself a love letter from your higher self, your future self, the future version of you who's going to thank you for putting in the hard work and speak about your greatness and speak about all the aspects of you that you want everybody to know about you. And so it really is giving yourself permission to acknowledge yourself because acknowledgement is makes the world go round. I mean, it's it's an incredible medicine. And so it's really powerful, especially when I facilitate this on stage, because then I'll take two volunteers from the audience. I'll have them come up on stage and then I have them read their ego letters to each other. And like you what you see in their bodies, just like, oh, God, like they're just they're mortified. Like they don't want to say these things out loud, especially to somebody else. And so it's powerful because they then get to feel the the sensation of what it's like to speak to themselves every single day. But they're, it's just it's just been a habit for them. And then they, of course, get to read the love letters to each other. And, and the, the clear identification of what they experience between both is so profound and so distinct that they then realize, like, this gets to be a practice in my life. Like, this gets to be integrated in, in my everyday. Yeah, that, that realization changed my life. When I kind of saw my body as a feedback system to the thoughts I had, if a thought caused uh, deep anxiety or self-hatred or shame in some way, it was a feedback system of saying, mm-hmm. yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't serve you. And I constantly keep in my mind of, of trying to give myself thoughts, that give a, a, create a good feedback system in my body. What are the thoughts you have that you notice for yourself, like, specific to you, 
that create the most negative feedback in your system? What are the, the hardest thoughts you've had to overcome in your own life? Yeah, I mean, I, ha- I still have them every day. I just, I, I practice being louder than that interpretation because um, the thoughts will never go away. The, the ego conversation will never go away. However, our inner voice of who we authentically are does get louder with practice. So we just get to decide which, which voice do we want to listen to, which voice do we want to give energy to. And so um, thoughts that I've had are, I mean, part of my, my ego history and things that still pop up even today. Um, you're an imposter, you're a fraud, people don't like you, people don't want to accept you, people don't understand you, people don't get you. Um, you're not cool enough. People don't, people don't get who you are. And so it's, and what, when I, if I listen to that conversation, if I listen to that interpretation, then it has me shrink. I feel this contraction in my body. And so it's in the contraction where I then get to shake it off and then decide what kind of conversation I actually want to be having because I have a mission. I'm, I'm here to, to stand for as many people as possible to know that they can cause and create anything when they simply love themselves, when they know that they're enough. What, have you identified what creates that imposter syndrome in you? I, I, I struggle with that too. I feel in the same way, right? Like getting successes or things that I wouldn't imagine when I was younger and then feel, what am I doing here in some way? What's your conception of why that occurs? I would say it, start, it really started for me. I was the new girl twice. I moved um, when I was in middle school and then moved again right before high school. And I just was not understood by... I was, I was bullied quite a bit. Um, so that was really traumatic for me to experience that not being received, not being liked, um, being bullied. Like there was just groups of girls that were just really just not kind. Um, and I never understood that because I've always been so kind to everybody. And Mm -hmm. so it was really challenging for me. And, and, and in that experience, I, I really started to believe that I don't matter, that I'm not enough, that I don't fit in, that I'm not cool, that, People don't want me around. And this impacted me so significantly. When I was 17 years old, I found myself in a deep, deep, deep depression. And I started to lay in bed at night and wish that I could witness my own funeral because I believe that I don't have any friends and what's the purpose of being alive. And and I and I would fantasize about this. And what if I died? Because then I could witness my own funeral and then I would see who would actually show up and who actually cared about me. But then I decided I didn't actually want to die because what am I going to do with that information? Right? So then I shifted my whole perspective and I shifted my, my fantasy into what would it be like for me to be in some kind of an accident, an accident that would be serious enough for me to be in the ICU. And at this time, I didn't know anything about law of attraction. I didn't know about the power of thoughts or any of that. And I was decorating for a party. We had a, a big barn on our property at my house. And I was a senior in high school. I had one semester left of high school. And I was in the hayloft and walking backwards. I was hanging sheets and lights on the ceiling and decorating the whole the whole space. And I was walking backwards, and that's the last thing that I remember. I fell through the opening in the floor and fell 14 feet, landed on my head on concrete, was in a coma right away, and rushed to the ICU and asleep in this coma. And so the doctors were doing all these blood tests on me and discovered that I was in the early stages of type 1 diabetes. And so total blessing in disguise because what I didn't realize was that the elevated blood sugar levels I was experiencing were creating the symptoms of depression because I didn't know where this depression was coming from, but I was self-diagnosed and so self-medicating and smoking weed every day and cigarettes and not being healthy. And so doctors said to my parents, um, we don't think Jenna's going to wake up anytime soon from her coma. And we just want to forewarn you that she will never be the same. 
she may have permanent brain damage and we don't know what that's going to look like. So we just want you to be prepared for that. And so, of course, the doctors are right about one thing that I was never going to be the same because I woke up the next day with a completely different perspective on life. Um, I did have brain damage. I lost the majority of my vocabulary. Um, I had no short-term memory. I had to relearn how to read and write and communicate and put my thoughts into words. And it was one of the most challenging experiences of my life, obviously, up to that point. But I woke up literally happy, joyful, grateful, with a, a fresh new look at life. Like I was looking at life through a completely different filter. And um, there were so many people that showed up to my hospital room, they had to send people away. And I was surrounded by so much love and so much care and consideration and people showing up for me that weren't my friends before. And it was just a very interesting experience. And so I was in the hospital for a week. And when I came home, my whole room was covered in, in banners and uh, flowers, balloons and stuffed animals, just people signing this big, huge banner saying, Jenna, we miss you. Can't wait to see you again. And, and please come back, please get better. And so it was this validation that I was looking for. I didn't realize I had this fan base all around me, these people that really were rooting for me. And my first day back at school, it said, welcome back, Jenna Phillips on the marquee. And so it was really the identification of people do care about me. I do matter. And there was like this knowingness that I was meant to take that experience and ultimately create something from it. And of course, the diagnosis of type 1 diabetes got me in the path of being a personal trainer. And my first private client was Ben Stiller. And so, you know, that was a, an incredible launch pad for me for the rest of my life. You mentioned in the beginning you were you were thinking of some accident. So mm -hmm. you, you believe that part of you attracted that situation? 100 percent. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. That's a, a, I agree with that way of thinking, but it's a controversial one. People will, it's a hard one because a lot of people don't think in spirituality. That's a that's a, a logical concept they use to not believe in it. That if there is something creating all, all of our life for us in a higher intelligence, why do these terrible things happen in my life? It's a very easy thing to think of to not believe in in a higher force or higher power. Did you see that quickly? Did you see that you attracted that quickly? When did that come to you? I honestly can't tell you. Um, I would say it was about a year and a half after the accident that I, I don't remember a lot of things. Like I have, I just remember bits of time, like slides of time, just, just bits and pieces. Um, because I, I just, I really had no short-term memory. So, but it, it was like this understanding at some point, like the feeling of the love and support that I had all around me. I was like, oh, this feels really different. Oh, okay. This is, this is, this feels really good. And I didn't experience this before. And I remember the thoughts that I was having. So I don't, I can't tell you the exact timeline. Of course, this was 23 years ago. Um, but there was a point when I got it. There was a point when I finally understood that I'm, I am the, the creator of, of everything in, in my reality. And, and of course, we can, I mean, one of the most incredible books that I've ever read, Viktor Frankl, um, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, he was in a concentration camp. His family was killed. He, everything was taken from him. And, and he chose his own freedom through his perspective, being inside the prison, you know, the, being in prison and being inside this, this prison camp. He just, he realized that nobody can take his own interpretation and no one can take his freedom. Like he looked, he searched for meaning in all of it. And he was able to, because of his perspective, because of his, his resilience and his, his chosen experience in that, in literally the worst case scenario. I mean, I can't think of anything worse than that. It's horrible. But he chose to look at that whole event in a way that gave him power. And on the other side of it, he's written a book about it and and impacted millions of people through his story. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have gotten pushed back about that. And 
And it's my truth. I mean, it's 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 absolutely my own experience. Another thing you said that can cause pushback, and I agree with all this stuff. I'm trying to like clarify yeah. so people understand. It, is another one is is forgiveness itself. Whenever I post about forgiveness or say something about forgiveness, half people are like, "Yeah, it's so true." Another half are saying, "How could I possibly forgive someone who did terrible things to me?" Mm-hmm. So, what's your take on that? Why is it actually better to forgive that person? And obviously, it's incredibly hard to do that, which sure. I, I understand. But why is it ultimately better to forgive? Forgiveness does not let them off the hook. Yeah. It doesn't make what they did okay. It doesn't um it doesn't give them a get out of jail free card. It doesn't give them a free pass. It doesn't it 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 gives you your power back. Yep. And so when I forgave the little boy who molested me when I was six, I got my power back. When I forgave the man who raped me, I got my power back. And so that can be argued, but that was my experience. That was the way that I chose to heal through that. Um, it's the way that I've seen thousands of people heal from their own painful experiences in their life. And, and so I know that many people oftentimes will cling to the interpretation of the story that mm-hmm. gives them a backdoor to why they can't have, be, do, fill in the blank. And, and I, and I actually can really identify with that for the last three years. I mean, this is like really raw for me. Um, and this has been an opportunity for me to really, really walk my talk. For the last three years, I've been navigating this this victimized mentality because my husband and I were living in what we thought was our dream house in Encinitas, California. And we discovered at some point in the middle of 2020 that our house was infested with black mold and it impacted every aspect of our lives. Um, my husband had suicidal thoughts, anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Um, I had chronic brain fog and fatigue and my body was fatigued and I couldn't understand why. And, and so it was just a really challenging thing because our landlord and the property management company basically lied to us and said that it was just mildew. You can stay in the house while we remediate it. And I discovered after the fact, cause we got even, I got even sicker after all of that, that when you stay in an environment where, where there is black mold and is being remediated, it actually becomes more toxic. And so that whole thing, I just, I experienced such a lack of justice. I mean, they specifically, legitimately, blatantly lied to us. They either took the test and found out that it was black mold and lied about it, or they didn't take the test and they lied about it. And so it was this whole thing of, man, it, it, it rocked my confidence. It rocked my, um, my production of the way that I, I produce content and, um, you know, output courses and, and experiences for people online and just different aspects of my professional life. Um, and also the stress that it's put on my husband. It's just been all the things in every domain you can possibly imagine it's impacted us. And it has been a really, really challenging thing for me to move through. But I'm at the place now where I realize that the world is not a fair place. The world's not going, doesn't give, can I cuss on, on the podcast? Say whatever you Okay. Um, the world doesn't give a fuck yeah. if I have black mold toxicity or not. Like it, it doesn't care. People are going to go on with their lives and do what they do and manage what they manage. And like, you're either coming along for the ride or you're not. And so, so I just got to, to identify that, okay, this may be my new baseline. And if this is my new baseline, if feeling like on a scale from one to 10, if I feel like a five and this is my norm, what can I do with this? And how can I have this work for me? And how can I utilize this experience and and speak to it such that people who are also navigating, because I can't even tell you how many people that I've encountered and met through sharing of the story on social media, yeah. that they have black mold toxicity or they've experienced it, or they've got an autoimmune disease, something or other inflammation, like it impacts so many people. And I've been able to create a sense of awareness because of it. 
and and it's also created this new desire for for us to search for optimal levels of wellness that before maybe we, we wouldn't have. So different aspects and life hacks and health hacks that maybe possibly we wouldn't have been curious about before. Yeah. So yeah, what I notice in in forgiveness is that it forces acceptance. I think that once mm-hmm. you forgive someone, you truly accept objectively what happened. And the more you don't forgive someone, the more your body or your mind is stuck in kind of correcting that or not accepting that reality occurred. So by actually forgiving, as you said, doesn't mean that they're that they're in the right or that person didn't do no wrong, but allows you to fully accept what happened in some way. When I don't look in the past, I can still feel energy in my body of not being able to forgive someone because part of me still holds on to that. Sure. Part of me still can't. You know, accept that. So that. That's a big, big step for people to take. And then another thing you said towards them, which is important, is which has actually helped me transform my life the most is when I'm traversing a negative experience or a negative emotion or or some kind of trauma, I stop thinking about myself in some mm-hmm. way. I think about how can this help me be of service, right? I think if we're all one, and I'm part of this one, and I solve some part of the collective conscious, conscious unconscious that is showing up for me, I can heal many through this. Yeah. And how has it helped you in a way? How has it helped you? traverse through the the abyss in a way i mean all of the trauma that i've experienced in my life has been a i've talked about all of it there's nothing i won't talk about um mm-hmm. so i know that the experiences i've had and this is also something that i that i've been really playing with um in the last couple of years of my life is maybe it's not that things happen for us because events are events things happen things just happen but it is up to us to take that experience and have it become for our purpose and have it become for our mission, have it become for the whole reason why we're here, because we're all meant to be leaders. I believe that's available for every single one of us, but not everyone will choose that. And so every painful experience I've had in my life at some point, it's not instant, it's not right away. It's at some point I experience and I go, oh, okay, this actually happened because and oh, how can I take this experience? And what's my interpretation? And what's the interpretation going to create for me in my life? And and whatever the process is, the process is. And sometimes it takes hours, sometimes it takes days, months, sometimes years. But it really is up to us to to choose that healing. No one can do it for us. It it, it requires us being willing to confront aspects of ourselves that we maybe don't like. Us being honest with ourselves and and also understanding that we get to be responsible for somehow, some way, we generated, created, attracted whatever we did experience yeah, it's a powerful point that it's often not the objective situation that cur- that created the trauma or sometimes it is or the wounding it's our subjective interpretation of the objective reality uh, and that's such a powerful perspective is just changing the story in our mind can often change the effect it has on our, on our body mm-hmm. how have you noticed that in your own experience how have you shifted some of the stories that you let me rephrase it what are some stories you told yourself about your past your pain that you've had to shift now into different reality into different perspective to create your new reality. Mm. I'm going to give you a break to digest all this amazing information. And in this break, please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you. I mean, just, of course, the diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have been like, oh my gosh, it's horrible. It's just awful. I've never felt a victim of it. I was diagnosed and I was like, okay, well, how do I said to the doctor? I didn't know a lot about diabetes at the time. And I said, well, how do I get off the insulin shots? And he laughed at me and he said, you're going to be on insulin for the rest of your life. There's no cure for it. I'm like, well, that's inspiring. I'm like, okay, I'll just figure it out by myself. And I declared that I was going to heal myself from it at some point, somehow, some way. And I do believe that's possible. And I feel like it's, I, I keep calling in these 
these health hacks and these experiences, um, stem cells and like all these different ways that people can heal. So I know that it's just a matter of time before I, I release that part of, of my, my life. Um, but because of the diagnosis, I became really passionate about health and fitness, which then had me become a personal trainer, which then had Ben Stiller be my, my first client, which then had me train all these amazing celebrities for 10 years in Los Angeles and and then led me to, of course, the work that I'm doing now. So I I, I could have chosen to look at that as, you know, like, I, I, and I've never, I very rarely say I am diabetic. Like even just saying that, I'm like, oh, like I feel that <laughs> it just doesn't feel, it feels so out of alignment. Yeah, yeah. But I, I often say I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 17 because that is the the fact, like that is the truth. And so the frequency of who I am is somebody that takes an event and finds a way to make it be a tool because it's, it's reminding me to stay happy and healthy and, and be mindful of the way that I, that I treat my body ever since. Yeah. I have a similar story, not with physical health, but I, I was diagnosed bipolar when I was young, not young, like 20, mm-hmm. 21, about like four or three years ago. And I had the same reality. They told me you're going to basically be crazy for the rest of your life. You're going to be managing all these ups and downs that your family's have to look out for you. You're going to have to have a support system. I was like, no. And that immediately I knew I, the path, I felt it, the path I'm going on is to basically create a reality outside of this, mm-hmm. that I can have whatever this is and create a life out of it, a reality. And that sent me down a rabbit hole of investigating trauma, mental health, emotional yep. health, all that kind of stuff. So same exact experience. Diagnosis uh, created a path from my new reality. Exactly. And that's, that's the opposite of a victim, right? There's a moment where I chose. So I was like, okay, I could take this and just excuse myself as a, as a bum for the rest of my life and just depend on my parents and everything forever. Sure. Um, and be miserable, but it's it's a choice we can make in that moment. Yeah, but I mean, that could have been your back door. That could have yeah. been your reason why to not do everything that you're doing now. And yeah. I believe that leaders have results. They don't have reasons. I mean, people who want to be fixated on their interpretation of the event or they want to focus on their diagnosis or they want to focus on their disability or their ailments, like that, that just gives them every reason why to not. Yep. Because leadership is, as you know, it's a tough road. I mean, it's it's it can oftentimes feel like a very lonely path. And and so most people are not they're not willing. Everyone has the ability to choose that, but most people won't choose it. And if you think about what it means to be a leader, it's not of the masses. It's not it's not the majority. And so leaders are people who go first. They're willing to fall on their swords. They're willing to have their names be dragged through the mud. They're willing to not be liked. They're willing to not be popular. And so again, like that is just it, it really had me understand that whole experience, the head trauma accident, had me understand what it means to be resilient. What was the moment for you where you faced the most backlash or where you really felt that moment of a big risk or something you did that, no, that many people wouldn't like you? What was the moment where you embodied what you said, where you really had to, to die on that, step on that sword in a way? I mean, um, every once in a while I experience that um, in the work that I do. My husband and I have at Leadership Academy here in Austin. And um, and based on the work that we do, we stand for people to be bigger than their stories. We stand for people to um, look at the feedback that's given to them and take it on, try it on, and, and realize that there's always something more that's available for them. And, and whatever their reality currently is, that's their interpretation. It's something that they've created. They've designed it. And so everybody has the ability to create something that they want, exactly what they want, like all of what they want. They all have the ability to create that. And so we, when we coach people and we stand for people to look at themselves in the mirror and we give them feedback about what's not working for them in their life, every once in a while we'll get somebody who 
does not want to set that conversation down. Like they don't want to believe that it's possible to have everything. They don't, they don't want to look at the feedback. They don't want to take it. They don't want to apply it. And so they will then, of course, respond in a way that is um, can feel like an attack. Like the instantaneous knee-jerk reaction is like, oof, like I just stood for you and I went to bat for you and I I'm committed to your transformation. And so for me, that is me knowing my heart and me knowing who I am as a leader and what I'm committed to creating for people and how committed I am to their transformation. Um, in, like in the instant, sometimes it's like, it's like, oof, I feel that. And it's like, I, I just, it's not that I don't care. It's I can't care. Like I, I can't care about the interpretations of people about who I am because I know who I am. I'm super clear about the difference that I'm here to make. Yeah, you can't really be yourself if you're always worrying about someone like Absolutely not. I mean, it's the only thing that's yeah. not possible in the world is to please everybody. Yeah. Like, I always say anything's possible, anything's possible, <laughs> except for that, except for pleasing everyone. Yeah. You know? Were you always this way? Did you, how did you handle rejection you know, at young, as a younger you? When did you make that shift towards really yeah. being like, I can't do what I do and care this much about rejection? Because I still struggle with that is... I don't give a fuck about, about mean comments and, you know, all these snowflakes yelling at me. I, I don't care about that. For yeah. me, it's more so um, if something I desire or I want, like, doesn't go my way. Whereas mm-hmm. like, asking for someone for something to say no or getting rejected and professionally romantically, that, that stuff still affects me. So sure. how, how did you traverse that? I mean, it's, it's my work still mm. to this day. I don't think that I will ever not be at least slightly impacted in a way where, like, I feel, I'm like, oof. You feel the sting. I'm, I feel the sting less and less, to be honest. It just takes practice, yeah. and and that's the thing is like, if 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 you have haters, that that's a, a clear indicator that you are establishing a sense of greatness, that you are establishing a sense of impact. Because, again, most people don't want to confront that. They don't want to, to bump up against other egos. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. But of course, it's like people's feelings get hurt and then they blame on other people. And so it's it's just this whole this whole narrative that people are not willing to dance with that I actually knew that choosing to do the work that I do was going to have me encounter really intense egos, people who are going to be just white knuckle gripping their um, their victim conversation or committed to being right. Um, and so I knew that it was going to be, and and so much so that I didn't even want to open up the academy that we have because I just didn't want that level of responsibility. But I I knew that that was just the next the next thing that my husband and I were meant to do, and so I just it's it's my work every single day. Anytime that I encounter someone who doesn't get me, who doesn't understand me, who challenges what I say or who I am, it's it's just an opportunity for me to strengthen and flex that muscle. Um, and it does get easier with time. It's gotten easier. Yeah, for me, it's. The- the less I resist the internal sensation of sure. feeling like feeling rejected or feeling like someone doesn't like me, mm-hmm. the more I become present with that and accept that I can feel this, mm-hmm. I can be okay with this, and it kind of vanishes. But it's when yeah. you're resistant or shaming it or stuck in it that you can't actually traverse it, that you're holding on to it because you can't feel it. You go into sure. the head and think about all these things and different. But in that, I had a question. Did How did you deal with your, let me phrase it, so by witnessing other people's intense egos? And, and dealing with that, how did that help you in dealing with your own ego? Did that help in some way? Did sure. that give you clarity as to how your own ego works? I mean, spot it, you got it. Yeah. So if I'm experiencing someone's commitment to being right yeah, and I can recognize it and I can see it, I'm like, I get curious. First of all, where is this coming from? What are they trying to protect? 
What do they need to be right about and at what cost? And what is that preventing them from having in their life? And then I make every attempt to hold the mirror up for them so they can see it, so they can realize that they do have another choice. Life does not need to be hard because when people show up that way or they navigate life that way, life is hard. Life is heavy. Life is painful because of the the distance that they create in their relationships and, and the way that it impacts them. And so I do everything I can. I be everything that I can to have them see that. And not everyone's willing to look at that and take that feedback on and apply that in their life and do the work and show up and get in the dojo and, and really develop that sense of strength and agility, that sense of emotional agility. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I, I then ask myself, like, where have I been this way in my life before? And why is this familiar to me? Mm-hmm. And so again, we are all just reflections of each other. And if, if I'm seeing it in somebody else, it's, it's been an aspect of me somehow, some way. For sure. And it supports me in having compassion. If I feel someone like that in my life, in, in person, who I have some kind of resistance to, they'll show up in my dream in a way. And then when they, th- they show up in my dream, I know for a fact that they're representing a side of me. Because if they're in my dream and they're in my unconscious Absolutely. mind, it's a certain archetype or part of me that I'm in resistance to. So how, how, let's do a step-by-step and practical process of, let's say you meet someone that or someone in your life that brings up all the resistance, you don't like them, you're judging them in many ways. What's the the process you'll take to find that part in you and then heal that part of you? I'll I'll give you an example. I recently had a woman comment on um, one of my reels. Uh, So Beyonce has done the the trainings that we have at Ascension Leadership Academy, but at another center. So she went through, she did a series of transformational workshops and seminars at a a center called Momentum in New York many years ago. And... um, and so that's something that we've shared to really identify that no matter how successful you are, there's always room for growth and there's always room for that next level of transformation. And so she commented something on, on, on one of my reels saying that we're using false advertising, that we're making claims about this woman that's not true. And so she, I, it doesn't matter. The details don't really matter, but she made a really just a rude comment. And so when I first read it, I was like, ooh, I was like, hmm. And that was my first reaction. But then I decided to get really curious because she commented again, but from another account. And it was like this whole thing. And I simply just sent her a direct message. And I said, hey, I'm just curious what's having you spend so much time on me and my company. Like I'm really curious about that. And then she responded in a way where she was just, of course, verbally just sharing what her interpretation was and all these things. And, I, and so I was engaging with her and not taking it personally because my initial response was, I'm taking this personally. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't get to you. Like, I mean, what's underneath this? Like, this is coming from, from a space. And I, I just need to understand it better. And so she had an experience with somebody who had not yet attended our academy. So this is like a year before this person actually wound up attending our academy. And um, and it was just really interesting because she had this whole association with this person who attended our academy. And I was like, but do you see that they're not? It's like, so it was just a really, I just was in this conversation with her and I was curious about it. And I, and I said, Hey, can we get on a call? I would love to support you in, in really unpacking this. And we got on the phone and I spent an hour with her and, um, I really spoke into interpretation and the power of responsibility and the power of ownership. And she was so grateful and she said, thank you so much. So, you know, and, and there's more to it. The details don't matter, but that piece was so important because, I gave her the opportunity to see an aspect of herself. Um, and of course, like you, I'm very selective. I don't always engage with people in that way, but I really felt called to engage with her. Um, so again, you just get to decide if, if it's something that's worth investing your time. And you also get to decide first and foremost, like is this interpretation, is what this person is saying, is it true? 
And if the answer is no, then you get to decide if you're going to actually put energy into it or what is the thing that you get to focus your energy on? Like, what is it about your life? What is it about your experience? What is it about your purpose that you get to focus your energy on? Because anything that we focus our energy on is going to grow. It's going to expand. What internal part of you was she representing? Like, what by doing that, by healing your relationship with her, what part of you was, like, healed in that, in that process? Um... I would, it, it was just powerful for me to, to, to practice not taking it personally. Like I made it all about her. Yeah. I, I made it all about what was available for her and I really was committed to serving her. You found evidence that nothing to do with you. I think that's what helped. Like you realized that it was just her own world. Yeah. But illusions. even if, even if, even if she, you know, shifted and then shifted back and even if that whole thing occurred, like still it's, it really was a, a powerful practice for me to identify that. I can have compassion for anybody and everyone. Yeah. And it, it's a practice of forgiveness. And and know that people are going to get triggered. The triggers are the guides. The triggers are the indicators that something is must get healed from within us. And so if we get triggered, we can choose to create this interpretation that we are being victimized or, ooh, that person, like, ooh, I get to be mad at that person. And like, oh, they are a certain way. Or we get to ask, what is this? What is about? What is it about this that's actually triggering me? And like, where is this coming from? Yeah. What to helps, be in curiosity about that. Sure. What helps me is that if I get triggered, I know this shit's not going away until I heal it. Right. That's my perspective. Like, no matter what it is, what happens, if I don't get ahead of this, this will keep fucking showing up for me. Not even now. My next, the next, next, next iteration of reality. So that's my perspective is that if I can get ahead of this now at a young age, really master it. Sure. I'm free until the next one comes. But has it helped you in a way of kind of seeing that? Or is that true in a way? that Like, if you, the more you repress or deny a trigger and, like, athlete doesn't exist, the more it'll just keep, keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up over time. How, how true has that been for you? I think that the more that we resist our triggers, the more they will absolutely show up, but but in different clothes. Yeah. They, they'll they get dressed up to look like something else um, because we're always going to have people that create interpretations based on a watered-down interpretation they heard from somebody else, and then they're going to create their own interpretation and make up this whole story. And, like, this is just the aspect of being a leader. And so, you know, you just get to really ask yourself – where is this coming from? What is what's behind it? What's driving it? And what is my truth? And and if we can look at ourselves in the mirror at the end of the day and know that we're being honest and know that we're we're providing an opportunity for people to be their best selves, and this is specifically for leaders, like if we can identify that from within ourselves and we know that that's to be true, then that's all that matters. Like we've got God to answer to, nobody else. Mm-hmm. You know, in that, I wanted to get more into the law of attraction stuff now. Uh, which I can feel you're, you're good at in, in many ways. How does, how does, the, how do those triggers or those trauma points or us not wanting to heal those things affect what we receive? Like, how does actually traversing to these triggers affect our abundance or affect our ability to attract what's actually good for our higher self? Ask me in a different way. Okay. Um, so let's say you have, a, a, or I have a trigger, and what's on the other side of it, of me healing it? And how does that affect my ability to track what mm-hmm. I actually want? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how does me clearing traumatic or, or wounds or triggers benefit me in attracting what I actually need for myself? I believe that freedom is on the other side of every trigger. I believe that every trigger that we experience is a resistance of some kind. If we're up against something, we feel resistance of some kind. And we feel that that pressure. I mean, I often say, like, no pressure, no diamonds. And we feel that that challenge. If we don't move through it, then we are stepping away from the opportunity to push our walls out and expand our container. And 
the instructions for life are on the outside of the box. So we've got to be willing to think outside the box. We've got to be willing to look outside of ourselves and realize that everything that we encounter is an opportunity to get stronger. And so obviously I, I have a I imagine that you've been to the gym before. I imagine that you've done yoga or some some aspect of fitness. Yes? Mm, okay. Bit. Okay, a little bit. Even if you've done a little bit or a lot, you understand what happens to the body when you're having some sort of resistance training. You're lifting weights or you're climbing a hill and, and you feel that burning sensation in your muscles. Yeah. We don't feel like victims of that. Oftentimes the the internal conversation is, whew, I'm getting stronger or like, whew, this is really tough or like, oh, and you... People keep going for a reason because they know what's on the other side of that discipline. They know what's on the other side of that commitment. What's on the other side of that is the whole reason why you started the fitness journey in, in the first place. Yep. And so it's the commitment to move through it that really supports people in in being able to live on the other side of that, that challenge. Yeah. I think in this work, what gets tough is there's two realms of, of the work. There's people in the toxic positivity movement or spiritual bypassing. We're always just making things fairy and, and um, creating complete illusions as to what actually is. And then there's people who are just come nihilistic and get too obsessed with the darkness or the, the heaviness of it. You seem like, like someone who, who's fairly positive and uplifting amidst all the, the icky mess and the, and, the, and the sludge. How can we draw the create that line of being positive and uplifting in some way, but also being realistic as to what is occurring, the, the darkness, the reality, what's occurring in our healing process. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to, to, to do. Yeah, again, I think that there's passive acceptance and then there's active acceptance. The active acceptance is, okay, this is happening and this is challenging and it feels really dark and heavy and intense and I just get to trust the process. I get to trust that there is going to be an end to this experience, an end to this chapter and what is on the other side of this? What's on the other side of this experience? What's on the other side of this this opportunity for me to remember who the fuck I am and apply all of these lessons and all of these teachings and all of these learnings in a way that is going to have me live my truth? And so the passive acceptance is, oh, well, it just wasn't meant to be. And we can say that. And sometimes that is true. But I do see a lot of people who just say that and they be complacent. They don't actually do anything about it. They don't shift their beingness. They don't shift who they're, how they're showing up in a way that is going to create a brand new interpretation, a brand new experience. That's what you're saying there is to kind of zoom out in a way of saying, really recognizing what's on the other side of healing this, this wound, of seeing like a much improved version of self, mm-hmm. of really viscerally imagining that, that side of you that could be this 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 boss is this total gangster mm-hmm. and you be feeling like I only can get there if I do these things. That's a kind of requisite to achieve the higher. I'll give, state I'll of give being. you an example. So after after the head trauma accident, I was sitting in a meeting with my mom and, and the neurosurgeon, the doctor who was supporting us and understanding what was happening with my brain. And he said to my mom, We don't think that Jenna's gonna be able to graduate from high school on time. Her brain damage is pretty severe and we just think it's gonna be too stressful. And so I could have accepted that prognosis. I could have said, you're probably right. And if I had chosen that, then I wouldn't have graduated from high school on time. Mm -hmm. I did identify, okay, I do have brain damage. But what I said to myself in the moment, because I couldn't put my thoughts into words yet. I couldn't say it. I couldn't speak it. But what I did say was, I am going to graduate on time. You don't know me. Mm -hmm. And that was my truth. And so... I did the things to reflect that truth, and then I graduated on, on time, like I with the highest GPA that I ever had, because I applied myself in a way that was reflective of my truth, what I declared, what I proclaimed, what I announced, and what I was allowing myself to believe to be true. 
is that part of the necessary part of the manifestation process you think of? Like truly believing in that, that side or that future and then creating some kind of plan to get there. Well, the brain doesn't know the difference between reality and imagination. And really, it's the same because our interpretation of our reality is what we decide. And reality is also our interpretation. So we can say that I am whatever whatever you want to say after those words becomes true. And if you practice it and you believe it and you declare it and you practice it with enough time and reps, then you start to create a new frequency from within yourself. And you create this vibration such that your environment shifts, your environment changes, and the people in your life start to act differently towards you and around you. It's just, it becomes, it really becomes up to you to create a brand new interpretation, a brand new belief about your life and what's possible. And so declaring it as if it's already done, declaring Mm -hmm. it as if it's already here, it's already mine, I already have it, or even speaking about it in the past tense, because we're all headed towards something great, but there is no there. There's no mountaintop. We All we have is right here. All we have is right now. And so we just get to identify that, that our interpretation is dependent upon us. If we proclaim that this is real, this is happening, it's already done. I'm a millionaire. I'm a billionaire. Whatever it is that you want to man- manifest and attract in your life. I have an incredible relationship with my soul partner. And I have a whole process that takes people through that. They create different um, lists, of basically different truths for every single area of their life. Um, They describe what their life actually looks like, but they speak about it in the present tense. Then that becomes their their roadmap. It becomes their blueprint for their life. And so it's really up to everybody to create that. And or you can start focusing on the quote unquote reality of I don't have what I want. I'm not there yet. I'll never get there. I'm not going to be able to be happy until I have that thing. And if that's the frequency and that's the environment that you're creating for yourself, that will always be true. Yeah. How can you, I think one thing I struggle with in the manifestation process or others struggle with is, as you said, seeing some reality, really feeling it, getting ourselves to imagine it as being there. And then being in that state of thinking like, okay, since I'm not there, how can we actually have faith and appreciate and be present in the journey it takes to get to that thing? Right, because for me, my, my issue is it's a blessing and a curse. I did a, a, a DMT journey where I saw my whole future. I, I saw everything, and yeah. it was way better than I could ever imagine. I was mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? But then that kind of cursed me in a way because I was like, I have to get there, and then only until I get there, I'm going to be happy. And obviously, I've done the work to beat, sure. beat that out. But how, how, can you, how can one go about that process of trusting in a future moment that serves them in a, in a good way and then really being present with and grateful for the journey it takes to get there, even if that thing is not here yet? Mm. Gratitude is the best attitude to have and really identifying like what we're are, what we already have, what we can also be grateful for right now. Because if we always say and we always think that I don't have that thing yet, then we're only going to push it away. We're only going to continue to validate that. So our thoughts and our actions and our words must all be in harmony. So we must have the thought of like that thing that we want or that experience that we want, have the thought, then proclaim out loud that it's already done. And know that it's already here and know that we already have it. We've already done it. And then have our actions reflect that truth. So if I say that I want a billion dollars, whatever it is, I want a billion dollars, but then I'm only focusing on what I don't have yet, that frequency, that energy is not in alignment. It's in contrast. So then, of course, I'm gonna, my actions are going to be reflecting that contrast. My actions are going to be reflecting that, that vibrational frequency. And so I often say to people, if you want to be wealthy, be generous. If you want to be wealthy, be generous. It's not about what you do. It's about who you be. So how are we showing up? Who are we being? What words are we speaking? What kind of conversations are we having? What are the actions that we're taking? 
So if we say that we want to be a billionaire, we say that we want to be a millionaire, whatever that conversation is, but we are always looking for how we can save money and cut costs and take shortcuts. And, and if that's our frequency, there, there's not alignment there. Of course, like find out ways to invest at a higher capacity and not buying a bunch of crap that you don't need. Like, of course, you don't need a bunch of stuff, but it's really having that deep appreciation, respect and love for money and knowing that it's a tool that only allows us to serve at higher capacities. So healing that relationship with money. What are the steps you took from taking back to square one where you were imagining yourself now? you're seeing this, you know, amazing, successful person. What are the like key steps you took from a like a attraction piece of changing your thinking and, and using that those manifestation processes? How did you get here in, in, in through that process? I did a, a huge removal of clutter, clutter from my mind, clutter from my space, clutter from the words that I was speaking. So I purged, purged my closet. I just got rid of stuff, stuff that was just taking up space. Um, I went through a long list of all these things that I had to do, things that I was procrastinating and putting off. Um, and I tackled those things. I handled them. I, I made sure that I was responsible with those things versus just having all these um, open ends and um, loose ends to all the things that I said that I wanted to accomplish. So I, I was in committed action. Um, and then every single day, I said a powerful mantra that was about 48 seconds long. And I memorized it, said it so many times I memorized it and created this mantra and put it up on Facebook. And that was the beginning of my mantras. I've recorded many, many, many since then with music and all that. Um, but that was what shifted my my whole relationship. And I, I made healing my relationship with money a priority. So almost every single day I was listening to Abraham Hicks in the car. Um, I was reading content that was supporting me and having that whole that whole experience be a reality for me that the the information i was taking in the media that i was consuming was only speaking about abundance is speaking about infinite possibilities not the doomsday the end of the world is coming like i wasn't focusing my energy on those things i was focusing my energy on infinite possibilities so you're a believer that what we really focus on on any facet of life is what you get absolutely so if you're trying to you know get some if you attract something into your life, you should be focusing on the things that that thing matches to in some way. Well, let's just say that we are, so you, you imagine your life in five years, 10 years from now, or however long in the future that it was. Um, the truth of the matter is that's a specific timeline. And so there's a way to collapse that timeline by having every single one of your actions and every single word that you speak be in vibrational mm -hmm. alignment with that experience. Yeah. Because if you if your energy is in contrast to that experience, you're only going to push it away. You're only going to expand the timeline. And so I believe it's possible to collapse timelines oh, and jump sure. timelines. And I know that you know that that's true. Also, yeah. I'm just speaking it for, you know, for your audience. Um, I know that people have a really hard time believing it until they see it but they must believe it in order to see it mm -hmm. because that comes down to the vibrational frequency the the experience that they're cultivating and creating in their space and so for me the biggest the biggest impact that i can say what made the biggest impact on my reality was shifting my thoughts and yeah. being the master of my thoughts how did you for me i'm with you and i, I do agree with the timeline collapse that's what that's what was so annoying about the vision I had was that I knew that I can get there as, only as fast as I heal the things that are stopping from getting there internally, all the blockages, trauma, all that kind of stuff. So it's true. And I had to let go of a lot of ex-partners, bad habits, whatever, to, to really access that, that timeline. Um, that, that, that's it's super true. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest thing you had to let go of to get to where you are now? 
I would say it wasn't so much letting go of, it was breaking the chain of scarcity that was passed down for my family. I have a very distinct memory when I was seven or eight, when um, friends from our church bought us two bags of groceries and we were at their house having dinner and they brought out these groceries and put them on the counter. And my dad said, what's this? And my mom said, groceries. And he said, we don't need this. So much pride, right? Mm -hmm. He was so embarrassed. And my mom said, we don't have anything to feed our children for tomorrow for breakfast. So we do need this and we're taking these groceries. And I remember that whole experience, that whole event, and it, it created this imprint on my on my body, in my consciousness, in my subconsciousness, in my DNA. And it really required a lot of work to just know that I, it was my it was my commitment to heal that before bringing children into this world because I didn't want to pass that on to my kids. Yeah, it's good on you. I think that's why I have no age when I want kids, but it's just the point where I'm like, I've healed everything I don't want my kids to absorb, right? So mm-hmm. our kids, I'm living proof. We all live in proof, right? All my shadows are my dad's shadow, my mom's shadow. Sure. So uh-huh. it's, how is that? I often will talk to parents who are, I think parents who are very trauma aware can be difficult because I think kids are going to get traumatized no matter what. They're going to get sure. pain no matter what. So how's that process for you where where you could possibly know you're causing damage to your kid in some way? You know, it's just, I, yeah, every day it's, it's kind of in the back of my mind. I'm like, I don't want to traumatize my kid, yeah. but it could be as simple as me forgetting to cut the crust off of his sandwich that will have him believe that I somehow don't care about him. Yeah. Um, it's the interpretation, right? Like the event is the event and the interpretation is what ultimately creates the experience that we establish as trauma. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I do my best to make sure that he knows how much I love him. I mean, both my, both my sons, um, one and four, it's just, what? It's crazy. Um, but I, I, there was a, a huge level of fear that I was really, really tempting to work through as Jax was coming into the world, um, or as Jet was coming into the world. So Jax is our firstborn and, um, Jet is our one-year-old. I was just afraid that Jax was going to feel not as important to me anymore now that that this little being was coming in. I did everything I possibly could. I read him big brother books and what it means to be a big brother and what it means to have a a, a younger sibling in the house and really did everything I possibly could. Um, and because that was my trauma. And when my sister was born, she was a preemie. And so my mom went from focusing 100% of her attention on me to then having to feed this preemie every single hour on the hour. And so that really impacted me in a lot of ways. My interpretation was my mom doesn't care about me. And of course, my mom loves me. Of course, my parents care about me deeply. But my interpretation was I don't matter as much as I used to. Or, And I was, you know, 22 months. I was not even two years old. And I started to have these feelings and these sensations. It was really challenging for me to, to have her come into our life. And so um, I was afraid that that was also going to be a thing. And I'm like, well, if I focus my energy on that, am I going to program that into my kid? Am I going to generate? So it was just this whole loop of I really get to be mindful of where I focus my energy on this. And so... Where can I focus my energy? Okay, I just want to make sure that he knows how much I love him. And so, like, let me just, let me have that be the, the come from. Let me have that be my my intention behind all of this versus coming from a place of fear. So I really did everything I could to not have that that fearful conversation be there. And it was challenging. It was really challenging to not have that be present. Um, but, you know, he's he, he definitely is working through his jealousy of his brother. And I think that's very normal. It's very common. And... You know, I, I, all I do every day is, is infuse love into both my sons and I absolutely do my best. And so his interpretation of what I do or what I don't do is, is not, it's, 
it's not my fault. Like I, all I can do is my best. And so that's been also a really big thing that I've, that I've been able to identify that my parents did, did their absolute best with what they have or what they didn't have. The tools that they have, the tools that they didn't have, they did their best. And so I know that that's also really true for the, you know, the thousands of people that I've coached and especially when they come up against their stuff that's been passed down to them, you know, from, from their parents is that I get to rem- remind them that their parents did their best. Yeah. And um, I think that at any given moment, we're all doing our best. Yeah. I'm also under the impression, that, I don't know if you agree, that I kind of chose the trauma and shadows I absorbed as a kid. That's something in me, that created my story, that whatever shit I went through as a kid, whatever traumas I experienced, made me basically into the person who does what I do. Absolutely. That I kind of, I mean, it's hard to say that people have been through a lot of really fucked up shit, but I, I really believe that I attracted those things in this lifetime mm-hmm. to be who I am now you know you often you often ask do you agree with this would you want anything in your past to be different to be where you are now no because of everything that I learned from it yeah I mean I had a a business partner who opened up a competing business literally in the same city Mm. (laughs) as us so I can of course and that that experience I mean that was like business 101 I mean the the learnings that I received in that and from that was in, it was invaluable, priceless. Um, I really learned to not pedestal people. I learned that I don't get to put anyone on a pedestal because humans are humans and humans are going to do human things. And I know that he made the choice that he did out of scarcity and fear. And I've chosen to have compassion for that. So, I mean, I definitely was feeling quite victimized in the moment and in the experience. However, I got to a place where I decided that I didn't want to give my power away to that or to him anymore. And in that choosing, I got my power back. Yeah, that's a theme you've picked up. I picked up on you is always kind of saying, you know, choosing what where you put your energy and where you, put, where you focus your energy. Why is that such a monumental or paramount value for you to really choose your energy and where you where you focus on it? Mm-hmm. Why is that such a big thing for you? Because the alternative is not great. Yeah. I mean, I, I I can decide that these things happen to me and poor me and life is not fair and there's a lack of justice in the world. And while those things may be true, um, it is up to me to create an, an interpretation that is going to forward me. It's not up to anybody else. Yeah, it, it's it's objectively true that, you know, our our own perceptions and beliefs create the world, create the world we live in. Yeah, for sure. Indeed. It, it just, it's all that. When do you first have the realization that, holy shit, everything I... My whole life is just a perception of what I believe to be true. When was that first realization for you? And how did that affect? What was that moment like for you? Like, whoa. I I think it's just, it's a it's a series of events all strung together. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't say that on this date, you know, this yeah. specific day, like I finally got it. Um, but it's, it is the theme of my life. I mean, I think one of my superpowers is being able to find the silver lining in everything. Um, and not from a place of toxic positivity because I definitely have my moments where I'm like, ah, this is so unfair. And I'm like, right, I get to be done feeling that way and I don't want to feel that way anymore. And now how do I want to feel? Now what do I want to experience? And at some point, it just, there is that shift for me. Um, so with every day, with every experience that I have that feels really shitty, it becomes easier and easier for me to shift more quickly. I'm the same way. It pisses people off the way I am. Because I always, I always say, for me, it's that I won't say to other people because they'll get triggered. But for me, I say, whatever went wrong or has gone wrong in my life, I tried for my own evolution. It's part of my karma. I, I literally called this in to show me we're not free so I can traverse um, my limitations. Yeah. Because, I mean, we can ask ourselves, why is this happening to me? 
but I believe that the more powerful conversation to have with ourselves is what is available for me here? What is this teaching me? Yeah, for sure. You made an original point, which I agree with a while ago, which is that, you know, things do happen. They just happen. Mm -hmm. Objectively, yep. the present moment just is. Things just occur, but, you know, our, our who we are as a person is our response to it, is the stories we create surrounding it mm -hmm. at, at a base level. Yep. So it's the, the worker, how you create your own character in a way is just the responses you have to to objective reality. What's If you were to summarize your, your go-to kind of interpretation of, of things that happen, what, what, what summarizes it? What's usually your go-to perspective of, of understanding things that happen to you? I mean, it's a it's a quote that I've been saying for literally 23 years. Everything happens for us, not to us. And so it's that can be interpreted many, many, many different ways. Um, but again, really, like, what's available for me here? Mm -hmm. What do I get to learn? How can I apply this? How is this going to be? An, an amazing addition to the work that I'm here to create and the messaging that I'm here to provide for people. Um, that's up to us. That's it. Yeah. It, it's, I hear you. It's, it's tough in the moment to, to be with that truth and also be with the, uh, it's kind of a, a delicate line between having courage as you beautifully show and vulnerability mm -hmm. in a way of, of feeling like, okay, I, I can traverse this, but also I am also feeling this, this, this pain, this, this mm -hmm. depth, how do you recommend people to do that? The, the line between you know being valiant and, and saying, I'm going to do this, while also creating space to be with the the trauma or the sensations that are holding them back. Because it's either one or the other. Most people are, as you say, they're a victim. They just sit in the, in the ick or they're a denier where they just kind of will just keep doing shit and over and over again to believe they are traversing it but not feeling it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People just get to ask themselves how long they want to feel that way. The interpretation of the events that we have is no matter how you want to splice it or how you want to explain it is up to us. The interpretation is entirely up to us. Um, and then oftentimes because of our original wounding or our previous trauma, we interpret as a, an event or an experience that doesn't feel good, doesn't feel great. And I believe that everybody has the power to choose an interpretation that can actually forward them. And so... It is a line that that is danced by anyone and everyone who's ever experienced any kind of trauma whatsoever, which is every single human being on the face of the planet. And we just get to remember that we're here for something beautiful, powerful, incredible. And it's up to us to be able to identify the difference between something that happened in a way that is unfair or unjust or whatever, or just really say like, okay, this this is the thing that happened. And... I'm the, the creator of my reality and my interpretation. And so I get to claim my power by choosing an interpretation that's going to have me live on purpose. Yeah, I want to end with this question because it's also a selfish question because I wanted to answer to myself. But um, when we're at a point in life where, let's say we're, we're calling it into reality or we're trying to heal ourselves and we're just, whether it be in business, right? We keep failing with the same idea. We keep failing in creating something over and over again. Or if we're manifesting a new healed version of ourselves and we keep going through the same triggers over and over again. How can we in that moment of, of deep failing, both on an internal and external level, failing is the wrong word, but where things are, are difficult, where we're not being shown that path to that uh, destination, mm -hmm. how can we ha have tr faith and trust that we're going to get there? Because that's the hardest thing for, for me and many people is to really feel and have faith that they're being taken there in some way when everything's showing them that that's not true. I think it's really important to identify in the moment when you're feeling like you're having 
a challenge or you're struggling to have the faith, you're struggling to trust the process, think of a time in your life where you thought everything was going to fall apart and it didn't. Just mm-hmm. think about another event in your life where you thought that everything was going to fail and it didn't. As a matter of fact, it worked out way better than you thought it possibly could have. So those experiences are all part of our story. And if it's happened once, it can happen again. And if we've overcome something before in our life, we can overcome something again. We have the ability to create that. We have the ability to manage whatever is in front of us. And, you know, faith is a choice. Faith and and trust is all, it's all a choice. And if you are up against it, you just get to remember why you even began this journey in the first place. What do you think is available for you on the other side of having faith? Because I believe that freedom truthfully is on the other side of that commitment. It's the discipline. It's the, it's the commitment. It's the follow through. It's doing what you said you're going to do. It's being who you say you are. It's, it's all of that. So it's all in harmony and life is not easy. Life comes with challenges. Life comes with ups and downs and peaks and valleys, highs and lows. And that's, that's just the journey of life. Like we're never going to get to this utopian place or space. There's no top of the mountain. There's no place that we're going to arrive and then forever we'll never, ever, ever again experience challenges. I mean, it's like as long as we're alive, we're going to experience that roller coaster. And so to embrace that, to accept it and, and just hang on and enjoy the ride, that's the secret sauce to life. For sure. And understanding that the process is going to be challenging or difficult no matter what. Even then, like if, if you were to have an incredibly easy path, we just got it immediately. What does that even do? You're not yeah. gonna, you're gonna end up not feeling worthy of it. You're gonna get imposter syndrome. You're gonna, you know, not develop your character in many ways. Yeah. I think the character is made through how you respond to the, the path, the journey. That's mm-hmm. that's what it is in some way. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank you very much for coming on and sharing all these amazing uh, pieces of wisdom. Where can people find you? I'm really easy to find because I'm the only Jenna Phillips Ballard in the entire universe. Oh, wait. Fact? Like you confirmed that? (laughs) Fact. I'm the only one. There are a lot of Jenna Phillipses, a lot of Jenna Ballards, but only one Jenna Phillips Ballard. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. So anywhere on social media, um, you can check out my website, jennaphillipsballard.com, and um, send me a message. Love to hear from you. Great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.